been dealing with this theme, this idea of the character, this attribute of God, uh, namely his jealousy. I am the Lord. Jealous is my name. This is what he says. Uh, We've thought through carefully uh, over these last two weeks uh, what that means, that God uh, is a, uh, that, that God is jealous. He's jealous for his deity. He's jealous for his sovereignty. He's jealous for his glory. And he's jealous for uh, salvation. Uh, we understand that the, the jealousy for salvation is that he's jealous for our salvation. That his jealousy for our salvation works itself out and that he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to relate to you. He wants to know you. And he tells us in that, his word that, that that relationship is a relationship that is marked and defined and characterized by uh, priority. He is our priority that by fidelity uh, by, and, 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 and by intimacy. Uh, those are the, uh, the defining characteristics of that relationship. And, and the whole story of the Bible is really the outworking of that. The outworking of God's jealousy amongst His people. Uh, it's incredible when you uh, think about the, uh, the, the jealousy of God. It, uh, there is an element whereby it actually sort of functions as, a, as an umbrella. Under which, uh, or not really an umbrella, it's more like an interface. A networking interface. You can use either. It it brings uh, people together under that umbrella. It it interfaces different attributes and ideas of God. It brings together things like His mercy and His judgment. Uh, It it brings uh, together uh, concepts that you look at and say, but they're, they're, they're opposed, they're diametrically opposed, but actually they function together because God being jealous for His people means that it is for their salvation. But God being jealous for His people when they uh, are unfaithful and commit spiritual adultery and go after other gods and idols, it kindles His wrath and His anger against them. So it interfaces those different concepts, and not just those, but many others. Uh, And so as we begin to to rightly understand the the jealousy of God and how it functions together, we actually uh, see uh, how God relates to His people and how He wants us to relate to Him. In actual fact, in the song that we were just singing, we sang the words, you know, my Lord no longer tarry, right? And we're like, okay, old English, but we're happy with that because it's an old hymn. We love it. And then the next line was speaking about how it's his power will bring us home. His power will bring us into, our, into his inheritance that he has for us. And I was thinking about it as we were singing his, his power. You could actually put in there his jealousy. His jealousy is actually the thing that is going to get his people home. God is so jealous for us that he is going to make sure and ensure that we make it into his purposes and his promises. And so that's, that's really what we're thinking about this morning is the jealous God and his purposes and his promises. He wants a relationship with us. You know, and, and God's jealous love, or his jealous wrath, as the case might be, says, I'm not going to let you live any way that you want. You know, love is an incredible thing because love can forgive flaws. It can forgive all flaws. But it can't stop willing them to be gone. Love can forgive all flaws in another person. 
But love doesn't stop willing those flaws to be gone. If, if you love someone, you can't just sit there uh, as they spiral out of control and say, it's okay. I don't mind how you are. If you love someone, uh, and the more that you love them, the more that you come after them until they're living the way that they ought to live. Not, and you kind of go, but they're living the way that you want them to live. No, 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 they're, they're living the way that, that, that they ought to live. The thing about God is that, he, that when we live the way that He wants us to live, we're actually living the way that we ought to live. We learned last week that our happiness is actually bound up in our holiness. God is driving us towards holiness because only when we are perfectly holy will we be able to be truly happy in the first place. We need that holiness imparted to us in order to find the happiness that God has in store for us. And so we we, we want, we desire for people to flourish, to live the way they ought to live. In order that they might delight in the things that they ought to delight with. And, and, and these are all the sort of the ideas that are, that are coming together, that are bound up, that God is driving us towards. Now there's a story in the book of Joshua, um, reminds us of God's jealousy. But in the book of Joshua, so in Exodus, God reveals himself in the Ten Commandments as the jealous God. And he says, my name is Jealous. Uh, then you've got years that go by, and Israel is still wandering in the desert. Exodus, Deut- uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The time of Joshua comes, the book of Joshua comes, and it, Joshua is the book about them finally going into the promised land. And right at the end of the book of Joshua, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but they, Joshua uh, sort of speaks to them, and he reminds them of what God has done, and he says to them, now, now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served uh, beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We know that one because it's all up in our houses. But the people answered and Joshua and said, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And you get to that point and you think, yes. He is our God. He is my God. I am going to serve Him. I'm going to serve Him like that. I'm going to respond to His jealousy in kind, in this personal relationship with Him. And then Joshua says to the people, I mean, you know, like, seriously, this is in verse 19, Joshua 24, verse 19. We will serve the Lord because He's our God. And Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. You know, like when someone just says something to you and it just like cuts you to the heart? So we're meant to read that. You're not able to serve the Lord. Joshua goes on and tells them why. He says, because he's a holy God. Actually, there it is. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. 
If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. And the rest of the story of Israel is really just that. It's these repeated cycles of Israel going out and serving other gods, kindling God's jealousy, uh, uh, kindling his jealousy, thereby, which is his, which remember, God's jealousy is his anger that remains love. And when we get jealous, you know, well, you know, you watch all these crime programs, Crime Network and all that stuff on DSTV, and like, you know, the story's always about the jealous husband, and jealousy, when it works itself out, he kills his wife, or the jealous wife, and the jealous girlfriend, or the jealous mistress, or whatever, and human jealousy basically is anger out of control, anger that kills and takes life. God's jealousy is anger that remains love. That's what godly jealousy is. Godly jealousy is anger that remains love. Human jealousy, and this I hope is the question that you're asking yourself is, well, how can we do this? The, the bar is so high. When you stop and you think about it, the, the bar of God's love is so incredibly high. How can he love a people who sins and falls? Or let me bring it down to street level. How can he love me who sins and rebels against him every single day? In thought, word, and deed. How can he do that for you? How, how can he love you? It's, it's too big of a thing to ask. And then you think, but I, I want this relationship, so how, how can I do this? It's too, it's too big a thing for me to ask. The bar is so high. But here's what you need to remember. Human jealousy, when anger takes over, kills and takes life. God's jealousy... Remain, when it becomes angry, remains love, and it gives life. And this, friends, is where this whole series has been leading. You see, God is calling us for compliance and this exclusive love relationship. When we sin, we're not just breaking laws or rules. We're committing spiritual adultery, and we are breaking God's heart. Uh, and he says, look, I, 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 will have to, I have to cut you off for doing this, but I don't want to do this. So what's the solution? The solution is God's jealous anger that remains love. Here then, friends, is the answer. And the answer is bound up in the New Testament of how God does this. When God says that I am your God and I want from your lips to hear that I am your God because I want that relationship with you, when God says, I'm your God, he's saying, I'm, I'm giving myself to you. Here I am. I am yours. And how does he do that? He does it by giving himself for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In John chapter 10, verse 11, we read about Jesus as the good shepherd what does he do? Well, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, you cannot appreciate the jealousy of God until you appreciate the cross and what God's jealousy looks like. God's jealousy is not a, is not a, a jealous spouse who turns angry and kills or destroys the relationship. A godly jealousy is anger that remains love. Very rarely will someone give their life for someone, Jesus tells us. Some might give their life for someone, but what does Jesus come to do? He comes to not be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, I know maybe it's a strange connection to make, but that's the connection that the New Testament makes to God's jealousy. God's jealousy is most clearly and absolutely manifested in him sending his beloved son, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the outworking of God's jealousy. That is why, as Christians, we are happy to say we serve. It's why I'm happy to say I serve a jealous God. It's why I appreciate that I serve a jealous God. Because God is so jealous for me. He's so jealous for accomplishing His purposes. He's so jealous for fulfilling His promises that He did not even hold back His only Son, but rather sent Him in the world as a sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. In order that he might be glorified through that, and us bound and tied to him might be recipients of that glory in the salvation of our souls. Friends, that is God's jealousy at work. That is God's jealous anger that remains love. Godly jealousy when pushed to its most extreme point, dies for the spiritual adulterer, dies for the one who rejects him, dies because he has given himself for us. And this, friends, is what solves the problem. This is the solution to what was happening in Joshua's day and what happens in ours. When Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord because he is holy and he is jealous, and the people are like, oh wow, actually, you're right, we can't. The solution is that he has to send his son, and he does send his son, and he moves towards loving us and laying down his life for us. That's why Jesus can say, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. This man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That is what I do. That is what I have set out to accomplish. That is both God's purpose and His promise. You can't actually separate God's purposes and His promises in the Bible, but that is God's purpose and His promise for us. That is what He has come for us. And in chapter 10, uh, verse 29, we read, verse, sorry, verse 28, I give them eternal, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Do you know what that is? That's God's jealousy. That's God's jealousy. No one will take them from my, I am jealous for them. No evil will, uh, will overcome them. I am so jealous for them that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God's jealous love insists on rescuing us. 
It insists on our perfection. It does not let it go, let us go, and it always stays love. Yes, it demands of us. It demands exclusivity. It demands priority. It demands fidelity. It demands uh, intimacy. It does demand all those things. Uh, But it demands those things from a place of absolute, unbridled, never-ending, never-giving-up, completely holy love that when pushed into jealousy does everything for us and on our behalf. God says, I will. I will do this. I will do this thing for you. I want to do this thing for you, and only I can do it. And so he does it. Let me make a couple of uh, kind of points, just thinking a little bit through application of what this means. Uh, I think, firstly, one of the things that it means in terms of its outworking of God's jealousy for us in our life, uh, in terms of its promises, the first one that, that, that really comes to mind and is striking is that, that God promised that He's jealous to give us rest. You know, at the end of the creation account, we're told that God rested. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A rest is the culmination of God's creation because He had finished His work. And He wanted us to be and live and enjoy uh, this rest. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't work because Adam and Eve were told that they would work the garden. But everything was perfect and as it was meant to be. And when sin comes in, it disrupts everything. And so part of what God is doing is He's unmaking a broken world. And so one of His promises to us is this promise of restored rest. Now, which one of us doesn't long and desire rest, especially rest for our restless souls? God's jealousy accomplishes that. But not only that, God's jealousy, secondly, uh, promises us, His purpose for us is this purpose of inheritance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Part of God's jealous uh, purposes and promises is to give you this inheritance. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. So that when I come again, I can take you to be with me. This place is a place where God dwells in all His glory. A place where there's no sun because God is there. And it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in God's clutches, in His hands, in heaven for you. And we will receive it when it is revealed at the last time. Revelation 21 echoes a similar sentiment where it says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. All right, and here's where that thing about jealousy comes in. Because you can't miss it. Because the, the Bible uses kind of these catchphrases to get our attention. And here it is. 
Because this is what, what God's jealousy wants. This is what it demands. This is what it's looking for. So those who are victorious will inherit all this. And here's the catchphrase. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. That's, that's what God desires for us, from us, from our lips. God, you are my God. That, what the psalmist says when he says that God is enough. In the midst of COVID-19 or corona or cancer or, or a heart attack or a car accident or whatever it is that, that causes loss and pain and suffering in this world, God says, I will be your God and you will be my child because it stems out of this intimate uh, jealousy that is bound up in this uh, relationship that he wants for us because he knows He knows what is for our greatest good. He doesn't want to uh, share His glory with another. He knows that our future inheritance, both material and eternal, which is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you, is bound up in His jealousy for us. It's bound up in the covenant, the new covenant that is made with us and for us in the blood of Jesus Christ. It calls for us to continually, and I hope that this is, you know, Hebrews 13 verse 15, if you're taking notes, that that as we go through the next couple weeks as Christians, as we go through the rest of our life, That through Him we will continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, which is a fruit, the fruit that uh, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, or that passage from Romans that we will be living sacrifices, uh, holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual act of worship. You see, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's jealous for your love. He's uh, jealous for your trust. He is uh, jealous for your uh, company. He is jealous that we abide in Him and that He alone is our true love. That we don't enter into relationships with foreign gods and with this world. Uh, That we don't detract from what He alone is able to do uh, for our salvation. You see, the thing about the purposes and the promises of God and His jealousy is that we contribute nothing to them. We bring nothing. We offer nothing. Uh, We recognize, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why is theirs the kingdom of God? Why does it belong to the poor in spirit? Because the poor in spirit recognizes that they are poor, in fact, bankrupt spiritually. They have nothing to offer God. That God in His grace and His benevolence, because of His good will and what pleases Him and His purposes and His promises, calls us into this relationship because He is jealous for us. That is what He longs for. That is what He desires. That is what He has been working for before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's jealousy should keep us near to Christ and should comfort us. For as those who are the bride of Christ, married to Christ, we know that He be jealous of us in all godly and perfect jealousy. That His anger towards us always remains love because He has 
at his heart's our eternal good. We should walk carefully, knowing that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, but that Jesus Christ has prevailed against the gates of hell. He is jealous for himself, and he is jealous for his church's fame, and he is jealous for us, and that is for our good. And so we're reminded of those words in Romans chapter 8, that God works together for the good of those who love him and those who call upon his name. That flows from his jealousy. He works together for the good, the ultimate good, the salvific good. When he promises that he'll work for our good, he doesn't promise that he will remove all hardship, he will remove all suffering. James reminds us that we should count it all joy when we face sufferings of many kinds, when we face trials. We know that there were persecutions. We recognize that Jesus called us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We are fully aware that Jesus' path to glory was the path of suffering. So we can't read a verse like that and says, but God said he was going to work all things out for my good and now look at my life. Whatever God's doing in your life, He's using those circumstances, even what we're facing right now when we walk out this door, He is using those circumstances for our ultimate good because He recognizes that our ultimate good is not, is not going to be found in this life. It's going to be found in the life to come. Your holiness, your happiness, your joy, your pleasure. Although you might be able to taste bits and pieces of those realities now, they are but a, a shadow. They are but a, 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 just a, a small taste of the reality of what God has in store in heaven for you. And so, friends, can I implore you to embrace God's jealousy for you. Don't war against it. Don't fight against it. Recognize that his jealousy is a godly jealousy. It is a love for you. It is a longing for your ultimate pleasure. It is bound up in none other than Jesus Christ. See, if nothing else this morning, the lengths that God's jealousy would take him, not to kill you, but to save you, not to kill you, but to raise you to life, that he would put in your place his only son that he loved. Such were the lengths that his jealousy would drive him to in order that you might be saved. Friends, we spent three weeks thinking about this. I can't end this series without asking you, how will you respond to God's jealousy? Israel is this sort of paradigm of rejection of it. They failed. Jesus is this paradigm of accepting it, saying, Lord, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. Will you embrace God's jealousy for you, knowing that his jealousy is a good thing, and that at his heart, at the center of all of history. You know, this history that was, everything that was, has been, everything that has been, will be again, that whole cycle that we keep on working through, that, that at the center of all that God is doing in history is your well-being, the salvation of your soul. 
And so will you cry out to God today, God, will you be my God? Today I bow my knee. Today I put my trust in you because I can finally see that the way that you have acted has always been loving and good towards me. And the way that you continue to treat me in this life, come what may, good or bad, is trying to take me, is working towards taking me to a place of unbridled joy for all eternity. Will you respond to God's jealousy like that today? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go from this place, mindful of all that you've done for us, seeing in Jesus your perfection, your perfected history, your perfected jealousy, your, 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 your anger that remains love in order that we might be saved. Father, inspire us to serve you, to respond in faithfulness. As we think about our inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, as we remember your purposes and your promise towards us, as we know full well that you're working things out for our good, as we recognize that Jesus laid his life down for us and has gone to prepare a place for us. Father, renew our faith. Stir up in us a longing for you, that in fact you will be our God and we will be your children. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We entrust ourselves into your care. In Jesus' name, amen.